great time of worship. So great to hear your singing and singing out to the great I am, the God who says, I am always in the present. I'm always here. I'm not the God of just the past or the God of the future. It's always present in God's time and in God's perspective. And so we worship him today, and, and I'm so glad you're here today. We are in this series that we began last week called Unshackled. And how do we break free and how do we experience financial freedom? Let me ask you a question. If you have uh, been working for some years and if you've had a full-time job, think back to your first full-time job. And think about the first time you uh, received a paycheck for that first full-time salary. Think about that. Didn't that just seem amazing for most of us? Like, they're paying me this much money? Like, I'm rich now. I've never had this much money in my life. Do you ever remember? Anyone rem- I mean, it might be a long time. Do you remember that feeling? I mean, it didn't matter how much it was. If it was a full-time paycheck and you were younger, you thought you, you, made, it, you made it rich. Imagine back then, go back to when that was, and imagine your salary now, if it's been a few years, and if that would have been your salary back then, or somebody who made that salary, you would have thought, those people, those rich people, what, they, what are they going to do with all that money? And now, fast forward to today, and you might be having that very salary and going, I don't know, it's kind of tight. It might not kind of be enough, right? When's ever enough? We always need a little bit more, just a little bit more. Maybe then it'll be enough. And, you know, I've talked to people of all kinds of wealth over my lifetime as a, as a pastor and as a friend, and what I find is that it almost doesn't matter sometimes how much people make. There's the sense of it's just tight. I could use a little bit more. Or maybe, you know, maybe, maybe you don't understand, and, and granted, some, for sure, there's, there's financial hardships, there's, there's challenges that we all face, but what's interesting that I've seen, and I've seen it in my own life, is that as income has increased, you know what goes right along with it? Our lifestyle, and our spending, and we don't even notice it, it's kind of the slow creep, and things continue to stay tight, we wonder, how did we get in the situations that we're in? How are we in this place? And we find ourselves stuck, we find ourselves shackled, and so we're talking about this series of how do we get unshackled? How do we take these shackles that we feel like life is, is too tight, and we think about our finances, and I talked about last week that these shackles aren't just uh, about having more money, that this is just about more income, but that this is shack- these shackles represent not enough faith. That that's why we're talking about this as a spiritual series on how do we get unshackled? How do we break from these chains? And it's not just about having more money. Of course, you know, having a little more money wouldn't hurt, right? Would anyone ever say that? (laughs) But sometimes having more money, we don't know what to do with it if we don't handle it right. And so we need to bring that into this place. You might be wondering, why are we talking about finances in church? I mean, let's talk about spiritual things. Is money spiritual? Money is very spiritual. How we handle our resources. If God is the God of all of our life, then he's the God of our finances too. Then he's the God of how we handle this very important thing. And God says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you see the link that he made? Why would God link treasure and heart? He's saying, wherever your treasure is, there your heart is. That's what you care about. And so God's not after your treasure. He's after your heart. And so he understands that if he, if he can help us with our treasure, our heart's going to be in the right place. And so it's a very spiritual issue. And here's the thing I, I want to say to you every single week. You might think like, well, this is just about finances. No, this is about your faith. And, and how we handle our finances might be the very thing that can accelerate your spiritual growth more than anything else. Because there's so many spiritual aspects that relate to money, relate to treasure. 
And as Jesus said in that same passage on the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew chapter 6, he said, you can't have two gods. You can't serve two gods. And what are the two gods he talked about? He didn't talk about, you know, you know Allah and, and God. He didn't talk about different religions. He talked about you can't serve two masters, God and money. He used that language of, of master and of slave and of being bound and of, of who we are serving. And he understands that subconsciously, I don't think any of us consciously go, oh, you know, money's my God and I serve it. But if we start looking at where's our devotion, where's our time, where do we spend our thoughts, what occupies us, what, give, what, what makes us anxious and worry, how much do we focus on it? And money can become that very thing, and God wants us to live free. And so we're going to look at this series, and today um, we talked last week about being shackled. Today I want to talk about finding freedom, right? Finally living free, that we would be free to live. Because that's what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to be free to live and not to be shackled by all kinds of things, let alone our financial situation. And so last week, and, and throughout the series, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 6, a story that, 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 Jesus, uh, story that Jesus told. And um, not a story that Jesus told, the story that Jesus lived out that we read in the Bible, the feeding of the 5,000. And as we looked at the story, and, and we began last week laying the foundation that, that sometimes it feels like it's just not enough. And if you remember, Jesus was with his disciples, and a crowd followed, thousands of them, 5,000 men plus women and children. A huge crowd and the disciples, it was getting late in the day, and the disciples were, were hungry, and they were thinking about themselves and the people, and they said, Jesus, please send them home so they can get something to eat in the nearby villages and the nearby towns. Good solution, right? And Jesus said to them something that surprised them. He said, you feed them. Remember? He said, you feed them. And they're thinking, and their question was exactly what we would say. They literally said, with what? With what? We have nothing. We don't even have enough for ourselves, and that's the situation we find ourselves in. We have a plan for God for what he's going to do, you know, how he can get us out of the situation. But he says, you feed them. He says, go do an inventory. Find out what you do have. And what did they come back with? Five loaves of bread, two fish. Not enough. There's just not enough. But when we place that not enough in God's hands, something amazing can happen. And so they're, 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 they're bringing that to Jesus and saying, look, Jesus, it can't happen. He says, well, what do you have? What do you have? And, 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 and give that to me. And then I love that next part. We ended there last week where Jesus then tells them, now go and get the people and divide them and put them into groups of 50 and 100. Now imagine never having heard the story, not knowing that the title of the story is the feeding of the 5,000. Right? It's right at this point, it's just the gathering of 5,000 hungry people, and there's five loaves of bread and two fish. We don't know any, anything more. The disciples don't know anything more, and they're going out and they're putting people into groups of 50 and 100. What's going on is they're preparing for the miracle. Jesus wants them to prepare for something, to say, get ready, I want to do something amazing. And so they place their not enough into Jesus' hands, and they're getting people ready, they're preparing for that miracle. And today, we continue with the story. And we're going to look at Mark chapter 6, verse 41, as the story continues. Then Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. So think about this scene for a moment. I mean, for the first time now, they're seeing Jesus, and I don't know how it's happening. It doesn't describe what's happening. I don't know if he has his back to them, and he just keeps handing them, you know, fish and bread. Where's it coming from? Maybe he goes up to Peter, and he goes, oh, look, there's a loaf of bread behind his ear, right? And he's like, oop, here's a fish. I don't know if he made a show of it or if it's just subtle, and just the food just kept coming. But it just kept coming, and it just kept coming, and, and they were feeding people. And it was an amazing, amazing, amazing thing. And so what began as not enough, 
what we see is now en enough. Our not enough in God's hands becomes enough. So no matter what situation you're in, no matter what you're feeling in, in your financial situation, you're not enough, are not enough. When we place it in the God's hand, all of a sudden we see he can do something we're not capable of. What's not you know, in our human thinking and our human math that doesn't work out, in Jesus' hands, something amazing can happen. And so we see in this moment something spectacular happen. But you might be wondering, okay, how does it look to, to place our resources into God's hands? Because I can say, like, hey, put your resources into God's hands, and you might be saying, okay, how do I do that? Like, Jesus isn't there. I can't hand him five loaves of bread and two fish. How do I literally do that? What, what does that mean? Does that mean that I, that I sell everything I have? Do I give everything to the church? I sell everything to the poor? I just live on the streets and I go, God, just, just provide for me. What does it look like to place our resources into God's hands? You know, there's times where we say, okay, there, God can do some pretty miraculous, amazing things like he did in the story. Or think back, think back to the Old Testament the feeding, uh, the, when, when God took care of the Israelites in the desert. Remember the manna that came from, from heaven? And the, the quail, manna appeared on the ground, and quail, he fed them day after day after day. And we think about this, you know, feeding of the, of the 5,000, a miraculous feeding. There's stories of the prophets in, in, in the Old Testament, Elisha and a widow, where, where her jars did not empty of oil that, would, that saved her and her family, that she could continue to keep baking bread, and the oil kept showing up in her jars. And we see miraculous moments where God intervenes. And we say, okay, how do we place it in God's hands? But I want to remind you that the miracles didn't continue. Eventually, the manna didn't, wasn't supplied anymore. When the Israelites got into the promised land, Jesus said, you know, God, God tells them, like, here, now you have a land I'm providing for you. The manna didn't continue. He, Jesus didn't keep feeding the people, the feeding of the 5,000. He didn't keep feeding them three square meals a day for the, the next week and the next day and the next week and the next, right? At some point, it was a miracle. It was, it was a moment. But it was what, this moment that reminded us that, that Jesus is capable, that we can trust him, that he knows our needs, that God knows what we, needs and the, uh, what we need, and he can provide it for us. And miracles point us to that. And we're going to see in the story of the, of the feeding of the 5,000 over the next couple of weeks, too, that there is a bigger purpose that Jesus was trying to teach them in this as well, not just about feeding them this bread. But the miraculous in these times are there where we can see God is capable. But does that mean, again, we just divest ourselves of everything and go, God, take care of us? What does it look like to place our resources, to place them into God's hands? And what I think it means is it means we say, God, I'm going to follow and obey what you have asked me to do. I want my, what, what you've given me, I want it to be about your kingdom purposes. I want to be about what you want to be about. And when we place it into God's hands and we follow his word and his scriptures, now we're going to live according to what God has said. And that is how we place our trust into Jesus' hands and place our not enough there. And now say, now we're going to see how God can intervene and what he can do to bring about something pretty powerful. And we think about this and we think about what are the, the purposes? What is the purpose? What is the plan that God has? And that's what we want to be about. And so I want to talk today about a kingdom principle that I'm calling the 11090 Kingdom Financial Principle. The 11090 Kingdom Financial Principle. And it's this faithfully manage 100%, return the first 10%, live within the 90%. This is a simple 
mathematical principle in this regard, as far as the numbers adding are up, right? The, the, the 100, 10, 90. But now I want to dive into this so that we can understand a little more why this is a principle and how it works and how it can really lead us to financial freedom. So let's look at this first part, faithfully managing 100%. So we begin with this, and there's key words here. Why are we saying faithfully managing 100%? Because it comes down to understanding this word manage and this whole amount. And the question is a question of ownership. Who does it belong to? And Jesus tells this amazing uh, parable in Matthew chapter 25 that really helps us understand about the kingdom of God. Now, it's a parable that talks about more than money, but it absolutely applies and illustrates his point with giving of resources, and it's the parable of the servants and the talents, and we read about it in Matthew chapter 25, and it starts like this. Again, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants. Now, let me pause right there. As Jesus is telling the story, he wants us to understand that in the kingdom of heaven, these different characters represent different people. Who's the man going on a trip? You can answer if you want. Yeah, Jesus, it's God, it's the, it's the owner, it's the king, right? He, he's the one. And the, who are the servants? It's we are, right? So this is how we see ourselves in this, this parable. This is how we are to understand how the kingdom of heaven works. And so he called together his servants, and what did he do? And he entrusted his money to them. Whose money? He entrusted his money to whom? To them, right? He entrusted to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last Dividing it in proportion to their abilities, he then left on his trip. So we see in this parable very clearly that whose money is it? It's God's money. In the kingdom, it's what, what the owner leaves he entrusted to the servants. And he entrusted that to us. So God is the owner. That makes us what? We are the managers. And that's why I'm talking about faithfully managing 100%. We are entrusted to do with this as God would have us do. In financial terms, uh, you've heard about a fiduciary responsibility. A fiduciary responsibility means you entrust somebody to manage your money for your best interest, not for their own, right? They're, they're, you're entrusting money into their best interest. And so in Matthew 25, 19, it says, After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used whose money? His money. All right, he comes back. All right, now, how did you do? What did you do? What, what purposes? For what investments? What did you do with, it, with that money? Imagine going to, you know, a financial advisor. You're going to, you know, Ed, Edward Jones or somebody goes there and says, here, I got $100,000. I, I want you to do something with that and make it work. Here's some goals I have for my future, and, and, and uh, I'll, I'll come back, check with you in a year. Let me know how things are. You come back a year later. I said, oh, how'd it go? <sighs> Sorry to tell you, but... There's not really any money left there. I, my car broke down and I needed a new Tesla, and so I just uh, used that money, and I hope you understand. How would you feel about that? <laughs> Tell me really, how would that feel, right? It wasn't in the best interest of the client, right? Fiduciary responsibilities, understanding this isn't my money. This is God's money. This is his stuff. When, when I was in, in, in college, um, I went to a Wayne State University. I lived at home in, in, while I was in Detroit area there. And in my senior year, my parents decided that it was time uh, for them to flee the nest. It's a little different than normal. Uh, I stayed in the house. They did a one-year assignment over in, in Europe, and they took my little sister with them. My older two sisters were already uh, married. That, mean, that meant I had the house to myself as a senior in college. That was awesome, awesome. Um, my dad left and my mom left and they left me the cars in the garage. 
There was the, the house. Uh, they put me on their checking account because I had to pay the bills. There was none of this, you know, automatic bill pay back in the day. And, and so I was taking care of the, you know, everything that, that was there. And I knew they were coming back. <laughs> and so I, I was under no illusion that I owned this house or that I owned these vehicles or that I owned this stuff. And at some point when they come back, it better be in really good shape or I'm going to be in trouble. Now, just because I didn't own it didn't mean like I, I didn't act like I owned it. I mean, like, you know course, this was my stuff, you know, but to understand whose stuff is it, who does it belong to is really important, and for us to understand God is the owner, and he says, here, I'm entrusting you with this, and at some point, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to ask you to tell me, what did you do with what I gave you? Now, remember, this parable is, is more than about money, but it's also about the resources and God has entrusted to us. How do we do them and invest with them? So we have to ask, what are God's priorities? If we have a fiduciary responsibility to God to manage what he's given us, what are his priorities? And so we think, well, God, what, well, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. We know one of God's priorities is that all would be in relationship with him, that all would find the saving hope and, 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 and the trust, the faith, the relationship they have with Jesus Christ. To be in relationship. So we know that's one of God's purposes. So we need to understand that when he entrusts us with resources, we got to be about his kingdom business. And the other part of that, I would say, is the second purpose that God has is to take care of us, is to take care of his children, us and those around us. And he's going to say, I'm going to provide for you to meet the two objectives that I have for you. So how do we handle that money? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at now, how are we going to do what God has entrusted to us? And that's what leads us to the second part of these principles, the 10 and the 90. So we faithfully manage the, first, the, the, the 100 and say, God, it's all yours. I want to manage it for these two purposes. And the 10 and the 90 accomplish these purposes. So now let's look at the, the 10. Return the first 10%. Surprise, surprise, you're in church and you're hearing about everyone's favorite word, the tithe. Now, tithe is technically a mathematical principle. If you were a Jewish child growing up in first century, you know, uh, back then, and there was a, a math quiz, and, and the teacher said, uh, what is a tithe of 100? You'd be like, oh, one-tenth, that's 10. What's a tithe of 100,000? Oh, that's 10,000. It was just, it's a fact, it's a fraction. It's one-tenth. That's what the tithe rec represents. Sometimes today we think any giving to the church, we say it's a tithe. No, 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 that's an offering. A tithe, by definition, is one-tenth. And it's not just any tenth. It's the first tenth. And so we're going to look at some of these principles. This has been around for a long time, but uh, Proverbs 3.9 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. In agricultural society, a lot of the, the income was through your crops, and, and what was your wealth, what was your income was through the crops, and the way you honored God was with the first fruits, the first part, not the last part, not the leftover part, the first fruits. Leviticus 27.30, a tenth, the tithe, of the produce of the land, whether grain or fruit, is the Lord's and is holy. Wait, wait, who, wait, did I read that right? Is the Lord's. Wait, wait, isn't that my field? And my grain and my fruit? Oh, it's the Lord's and is holy. What does holy mean? Set apart. So this first part, the first fruits, the first tenth is to be set apart. It's the Lord's. It's, it's his. It's holy. And we play around with the Lord's part all the time thinking it's ours. It's not ours. And that's why intentionally here, this second part of the 10 is to return 10%. Right? To return that part, to say return the first 10%. We often say we're going to give our tithe like we're giving God something from us. Technically, we're just returning what he's already given to us. And it's an act of worship and it's an act of, of faith. And so when we return to God, we're telling him, look, this is an act of obedience to your word. It's an act of trust and inviting you in. It's responsibility, God. It's love. 
And we think about these goals, right? What is this fiduciary responsibility? Jesus said, uh, you know, we said earlier that it's about seeking and saving the lost. When we faithfully execute the tithe and we say this is a part of what we do and we return to God, do you know that the kingdom principles can be met financially in this world without any hesitation? If the church, if all of us faithfully tithe in this place and in other places, we would be asking, I'd be saying, what do you want to do with our money this week? We, 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 we have more than we need. I'm telling you that we would have zero financial challenges. The kingdom of God, the purposes in this world, the needs of this world, if the people of God together financially understood this principle, gave back to God, his, his, his purposes from a financial perspective would be easily met. And that's part of God's design for that. We can meet the needs if we, if we do this. We have plenty of kingdom resources. But beyond that purpose, it's really good for us. It's really good for us. Nothing, listen to this, nothing breaks the, the shackles of money on our heart faster than giving. Do you believe that? See, money by its nature wants to be consumed, held onto, spent, used for us. There's that, there's that magnetism, that power to that. And what breaks that is when we give it away. And so part of God's principle, and this is the first part, you're, just, you're gonna start, the first thing you do with money is you give it. The very first thing you do is you give it, you return it back to God, and you're going to learn a freedom from that. It's going to break some of those shackles of not feeling enough, the scarcity mentality. You're going to go right off the bat and say, God, I trust you. I invite you into my finances. And here we go. And it changes our heart relationship with money and with finances. Because it's not, just, again, about a mathematical principle, what, what God wants to do in our heart. 2 Corinthians 5.7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's an attitude in how we give. It's not just a reluctance. It's not just a compulsion. It's not just a duty. At that point, God says, I don't want it. I don't need it. But I want something for you, not just from you. I want you to find the freedom. I want you to find the joy in doing this. I have a friend who posts on Facebook every time he gets a, the, the paycheck, and I forgot exactly what he says, but like, yeah, it's giving day. <laughs> I, get to give to the God, I get to give to God today. It's paycheck day. Like, excited. This is the thing we get to do. Another friend of mine, his church, they call it the joy box instead of the offering box. It's the joy box. Give with joy. Give with a cheerful heart and celebrate that. And what we do is when we start with that first 10, and as we're managing the hundred, when we give God the first and the best, he will bless the rest. It's a, it's a biblical principle. When we give God the first and the best, he will bless the rest. And that's why we begin with the tithe. We don't wait till it's the leftover before it's the end. We start at that place. And so we're understanding that we're going to faithfully manage 100%. We're going to return to God the first 10%. And now we look at the 90%. The 90%. And so here's the goal with the 90. Live within the 90%. <laughs> I mean, if you just step back, if you didn't actually look at your own finances, you would probably go like, oh, there's plenty of 90%. That's like almost everything. Sure, no problem whatsoever. But I bet you some of us are thinking, live within the 90%. I can't even live within the 100%. That's why we're in debt. Because I don't have enough. And so I have to borrow some more. And because I had to borrow some more, I can't even meet my bills. And now uh, the interest rates and the, the, the debt payments are swallowing me up. And I'm just going backwards. Live within the 90%. Are you kidding me? But remember, it's you begin with the 10 and then you work on the 90. But let me ask you this question. Would you rather have and live with 90% blessed by God or 100% without his blessing? 
I mean, that's the decision that we make. Those are the, the, the spiritual and financial decisions we make. And say, God, do I invite you in? Do I put you in that first place? And we want God to, to, to bless us in that way. And so how do we live within the 90%? I'm going to give you kind of two big categories today as we talk about living within the 90%. And by the way, did you, uh, you guys taking sermon notes, message notes? you have your journals out? Bring these journals. I want to see these every Sunday. Bring your journals. Bring them, open up to the page, write in the sermon notes, do the questions. This is a tool for you to grow, to, to go deeper, so that we have some of the stuff available to you, and, um, as you as you go forward. So two things here as we talk about living within the 90%. The first is this. You have to free yourself from debt. So we got to start first. We, we're in a hole. Many people are in a hole. If, you get, if you're an average American, you're, you're in some kind of hole somewhere. You've got some debt, um, especially looking at debt beyond your house. Oftentimes, a mortgage is, a, is really more of an investment in the long term, so it's not as critical when it comes to thinking about debt. But any other kind of debt, you're in the hole. You owe somebody something. And so the first thing, before we can manage the 90, we got to figure out how to get out of, it, out of this hole and not go any deeper. Proverbs 20, verse 7 says this, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is the slave to the lender. There's that language again, right? About being shackled, about being enslaved to the lender. At any moment, somebody could come and foreclose on your house, or take your car, or garnish your wages. Or, and, and that's a strain and a stress that, that some of us might be living in. But we are actually indebted, and, 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 and we're slave to the lender. And Proverbs 6, uh, 5 says, save yourself like a gazelle escaping from a hunter, like a bird fleeing from a net. Don't take this lightly. Don't take being in debt like, it's not that big a deal. Everybody's in debt. I got to build up my credit. I got to do all this kind of stuff. No, the Bible tells you, flee, get out of it. Do everything you can. Escape like, you're gonna, like your life depends on it. And so this is the, the attitude we need to have is to live within this 90% is to, to say, we've got to break the cycle of debt. We have to break these chains. And so there's a few ways that we, we got, get out of debt. Now, our, our, our nation, uh, our country has laws that you can file bankruptcy, and there's some things you can do if you get to a point where you just absolutely, you're never going to get out of it. There's ways for you to do that. But when we talk about having what God has given us, that he's given us the means to get out of debt, one of the first things we need to do is to make sure we don't get into further debt. You have to get out of debt, but you first have to make sure that you don't get into further debt. And so you need to build uh, an emergency fund. Do you have an emergency fund? Do you have a $1,000 emergency fund? We, I, I've, I'm kind of a, uh, I've listened to Dave Ramsey a lot over the years, and so you're going to hear some very similar things that, that you're going to hear from Dave Ramsey, uh, because I think there's some great principles there. There's, there's, there's principles we've, uh, we've used in our own life, and one of those is, is get an emergency fund. $1,000, and you might say, how do I even get $1,000 if I'm living pay paycheck to paycheck, if there's no, uh, you know, no other margin, no other room? You've got to get serious. You've got to take it on in a, in a way like you're going to fight for this. You're going to eat PB&J for the rest of the week, every meal. You're just going to do it. You know, you're going to rice and beans, beans and rice, right? You're going you're gonna to go after it. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna stop watching Netflix. <laughs> you're going to cancel any subscription. You're going to cancel every subscription. If it doesn't come free over the airwaves, you're not, you're not paying for it. You're not buying another single coffee from another shop where you pay over like 10 times what it costs to make a cup at home. You're just not going to do it anymore. You're not going to eat out ever. <laughs> no. Not for now. Or for now, not for never is an important piece. You don't have, it doesn't have to be forever, but for now, you're going to tackle. You're going to get serious. You're going to stop thinking it's just a buck. It's just five bucks. It's just another meal out. You're going to get serious about it. And what's going to happen is you're going to start seeing some extra money appear. You're going to sell some stuff in your house. Your kids are going to think you know, that you're going to be selling them, right? You're just going to keep selling stuff. Get rid of it. Sell it. Move it on. You're going to get a second job. You're going to work hard, and you're going to turn the tide. And all of a sudden, you're going to have $1,000 sitting there. And when that next emergency hits, 
You're good. You don't need to take more debt. You don't need to put on your credit card. And a Big Mac attack at mid midnight does not constitute an emergency, just, <laughs> just so you know, okay? True emergencies, right? You got to cover. So first, you got you to build some, some cushion. Later in, in Dave Ramsey's steps as well, you build a much larger um, reserve fund. But right now, this is just to get you started. You got to get some extra cash. And when you can get that extra cash to get, um, to get that you know, emergency fund, then you're going to start tackling your debt. And you got to tackle it. You got to hit it hard. You've got to get out of debt because it's just going to continue to eat your resources and eat your resources. And the way you do that is you need some extra cash. I'm not going to get into a lot of detail on this, but one of those ways is the debt snowball. Again, Dave Ramsey, a lot of other financial people talk about that. In our journal, we have, we have a, a link to a place where you can go and, and just scan that, and it takes you right to the website. But there's some very practical steps. You just list all your debts from, from smallest to largest. doesn't matter what the interest rate is. You just list them out, and then you, uh, you put all what the minimum payment is to keep the creditors off your back. And you make minimum payments on everything except your smallest debt. And on that one, you're going to find an extra 100 an extra 200 bucks, an extra whatever you come up with, and you're going to just load that up. So if you still have like an outstanding Sears card, you know, I don't think, somebody else probably bought their debt or whatever. But you're probably still carrying that, you know, debt for something you bought back in 1985. I don't know, but maybe it's like 400 bucks or 500 bucks, but, and you still keep paying 20 bucks on it, 20 bucks on it. It's just not, it's never going to go away. But you start putting 220 on it, and two months you got it knocked out. And so you need that extra money. And then once you have that extra, then you take that. When you no longer have that first payment, you take that minimum plus the 200, and you add it to the next debt. And then you pay that off. You add it to the next one, and you begin to roll the snowball. And you're going to start finding, I'm knocking out some debts. And by starting with the smallest debt first, you get to build some momentum. I can do this. That's why you don't start tackling your you know, $300,000, $200,000, $500,000 home. Well, you don't start there. Start with the smallest. Get some momentum. And what begins to happen is you begin to get encouraged. I'm finding some freedom. I'm finding some relief. And so we get that debt snowball rolling, and it feels great to be out of debt. I know we started, you know, over the years of taking the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University course. We've, we've taught it. We've put some of those principles, you know, into, into practice. And I remember it's been years ago, and, and we had, still had a car debt, and we had some student loan debt, and we did the debt snowball. Started finding extra money, started cutting back and saying, we're just going to pay this off. I remember having a, a minivan we had to get, and it was still like five years of payments. Oh, 60 months. Just feels like forever paying on this depreciating piece of metal, right? And we, tried, just, we started hitting it, and we had it paid off in two years. And it was like, I own this thing out right now. This feels great. No more car payments. And we haven't had a car payment in like 15 years. It feels great not to have a car payment. We, not, we did the same thing with a student loan. We paid off the student loans. And it's like nobody, we don't owe anybody anything except on our house. And there's a freedom in that. And that's something we got to tackle as well. I don't know if you've ever, again, listened to the Dave Ramsey show, but they have the debt-free screams. There's where, where callers call in, and if, they, if they're debt-free totally or debt-free but the house, they get to do a 3 2 one, you know, countdown and scream. They go, 3 2 one, we're debt-free, right? And it's just, and they just, this freedom, right? And then in the background is, you know, from Braveheart, Mel Gibson, like, freedom, right? We, we've come to ex just accept that debt is a way of life in this country, and it doesn't have to be. And so if we want to manage the 90% the, the and, and, and accomplish the principles that God has for us, this consumer debt, these personal things, we have to get out and we take those steps and it feels amazing to begin to feel that freedom. And so you begin there. You start there. You get out of that hole. You begin to make some forward progress. And the second is this. You have to have a plan for your money. 
I mean, your, your, your debt snowball is a part of that. But now you're looking, if you're out of debt and you're moving forward, it's to create a budget. In other words, nobody likes. Who loves living on a budget? Budget just means limitations. Budget means restraints. Proverbs 21.3 says, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. A budget is a plan. A budget is simply a plan to say, how do I get from where I am to where I need to go? And, uh, you know, I think Dave Ramsey or somebody says this, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. Right? And most of us, like, we get, the, we get the paycheck, and we just pay our bills, and we just charge it on the card, and you pay on the card, whatever, and you don't really know where's the money going, what's, what's the purpose, where, and then you wonder why you're short. You wonder why there's not enough or, or why it's always tight. Every dollar gets a name. This is where it's going. This is what I'm going to do with this thing. And we learn to live within our means in this way. Proverbs 22, 3. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. This idea is you look ahead. You take precautions. You think, what's the plan? What do I need? What's the future hold? Where, where do I need to, to make sure that I'm shored up? But when we take shortcuts, when we don't make a plan and we just kind of live for the now, do you know the now will always consume the future? What we have in front of us will always consume the future. And the budget is a way for us to say we want to reach some goals. I think what can help in the way that we think about budgeting, think about it less of like these categories with dollars, but what do you want to accomplish? What are some goals? What are some purposes that you have? It's like, like instead of going, you know, I have to give my first to, to God reluctantly, grudgingly, versus, you know, I want to honor God with the first part of my money. That's one of the goals I have. I want to be a generous person. And when I do that, I'm a generous person, and we accomplish the things that, that God wants in the kingdom. And so I'm going to do that. That's a goal that I have. I'm going to work my way towards that goal, or I'm going to take that goal by the, by the horns. I want to provide for my family, food, shelter, clothing. I want to make sure they're well taken care of. So I got to set aside this amount for this purpose. I have a goal. I want to, uh, you know, maybe you, you've got some future goals, and we're going to talk about that in the next two weeks, about being free to dream and free to bless. And you set some goals for your family or for the future, and you, you begin to plan for those. That's all the budget is, to allow you to do the things and to live in a way that, that you want to honor God, in a way that God wants to also bless you. And he wants us to enjoy some good things in this life. He doesn't want us to just live in a way that's always in, a, in, in, in drudgery. And so we, we want to learn how to manage all of it for God. We return the first 10% to God and we say, God, the 90%, I want to live within my means on this. And just as I've been talking about Financial Peace University, we are starting an online course starting on October 11th. It's going to, so you don't have to come in here wherever. You can join together with others from, from this church. And, uh, and so it's starting very soon. You can get some more uh, information on our website and, and we'll be more than happy. Uh, happy to help you get signed up for that, to do that with others. It's like a nine-week course. It is so helpful. Get on the right path. These are godly biblical principles that can really help you. But when I think about all this, we think about, you know, it feels like we're just, again, talking about these financial principles, and it's math, and it's budgeting, and it's setting aside, and a debt snowball. But it comes back to, again, heart attitudes, heart attitudes. And I want to end with this, three heart attitudes to live financially free. Let's go through these real quick here. The first is just trust. That's why this is a spiritual issue, because it comes down to trust. Do I trust God or do I trust myself? I don't need God. I don't need anyone else. I got it. I've got to figure it out. You know, I can handle, you know, my money. It has nothing to do with my faith. We need to trust God. Philippians 4.19. And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Just trust in God. 
He wants to provide for you. He will provide for you. He has glorious, unlimited resources. And he's willing to share those with us if we would just trust him instead of trusting ourselves. So how we respond is an act of trust. That's a step of faith. The second hard attitude, if it, if it qualifies as a hard attitude, but I just thought this word grit. It's, an, it's, a, it's a popular word these days, but grit. It's this discipline. It's having this sense of, of I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something about this. I'm going to go after you. This is important to me. I want this part of my life and my spiritual life to, to honor God. And so I'm not just going to let it be a byproduct. I'm not going to keep falling victim to what's happening to, to me financially, but I'm going to really engage in this. And, and the Bible says some pretty strong words here in Proverbs chapter 6. It actually says, you know what? People, people, you want a lesson? Look at the ants. And here's, here's what it says in Proverbs chapter 6. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Not me speaking, Bible. Uh, learn their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Which one are we? Look at the ants, how they function. I, I think about this verse all the time when I want to hit snooze in the morning, like, you lazy bones, you know, a little more rest, a little more slumber, then poverty will pounce on you. You know, like, but be diligent. Have grit. It's not just laying back going, God, just get me out of the situation. It's saying, God, I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. I'm going to put to work. I'm going to discipline, hard work, self-denial. I'm going to be consistent. I'm not just going to do this for a week. I'm going to do this for, for a couple of years if I have to, to get out of debt. You're going to take this on. The third is this contentment. Yeah, we could do a whole message on any of these points, but just contentment. I mean, we live in a materialistic, covetous, greedy <laughs> world. It's so hard not to be caught up with this, with the consumerism, right? With what's around us. I mean, for, for, for uh, fun, some of us, uh, or for therapy, some of us buy stuff called re retail therapy. Anyone ever done that? Sometimes you just need something new, you know? I've been there. It just feels good to have something new. But it's so hollow if you think about it. But, but sometimes we're just, we, or we think our self-worth is wrapped up in what we have or the, the need to impress others and this idea of just contentment, of gratitude. We learn from the Apostle Paul, Philippians 4. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned. He wasn't in need. Why? Because he learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So when we have that trust in God, when we have that grit to work for, when we have contentment, it's amazing how we can experience financial freedom. Sometimes it's just a perspective change. It's how we view our money. It's how we view our things. It's how we put it before God and say, God, I'm going to work in this way. And we begin to experience freedom, the chains loosening. And God beginning to be honored in the way that we handle our resources. And we move from not enough to placing it into God's hands and seeing it's enough. God has provided enough for us. And as we look at the story of, of the feeding of the 5,000, it's not done. There's still a lot more left to the story, and there's some other things that are happening. We're going to look at those in the next couple weeks. But this is where it begins, is by placing it into God's hands. And the way we do that is by following his principles and going after what he finds important, what he wants to accomplish in this world. And I just wonder, should it look different among God's people? 
than the people in this world and how we handle our money and our stuff? Should it look different? Or are we just the same like everybody else? The same struggles, the same hardships, the same always not enough, the same lack of generosity, the same wanting and desiring of things, the lack of contentment. Or do we look different? Does the church look different? Does it look like people who say, you know what, I see some that have a lot, some that have little, but they all seem to be content. They all seem to be generous people. They don't, it doesn't seem like money has a hold over them. You know, their focus isn't just about more and more and more. There's a generosity there. They meet the needs that, that, that are among them. There's just something different about it. I can see their faith. That's how we stand out. That's how we look different when we live according to God's principles. And I believe as a church that God has called us to that. At Meadow Park, we have an amazing history of just generosity and faithfulness. Even today as we celebrated, right, that, that huge goal for Renew. Because I know you guys are stepping above and beyond what you're able to do. And saying, God, I believe in the kingdom and what you're doing and in this church. And so we just want to come back. I have to come back time and again and be reminded of these principles. Because I'm prone to, to, to get lax on some, to slip away on others, to get caught up again on consumerism and materialism. But we are a people who are not consumed by consumerism. We're not possessed by possessions. We have a greater purpose and a greater God that we're living for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word that really helps us on some very practical life situations and how to handle our resources and how to deal with debt and how to give generously and how to provide for the needs of ourselves and our family and those around us. Father, I pray that we would learn to live free that we could experience not being held captive by constant thoughts or worry of money and finances, but, God, that we can trust you. Father, would you ease our calm, would you ease our fears, and help us to take steps that make a difference, that grow us spiritually, so that our heart could be closer to you in every area of life, including how we handle our finances. And, Father, in the end, we know it's about you and who you are in our life and that when we have you, we have enough. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.